Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Max Cabot. Max is co-founder and growth strategist at Good Dog, a brand consultancy that helps mostly mid-stage, founder-built, mission-driven companies grow by articulating a singular storyline, then bringing it to market. Welcome to the podcast, Max. I'm delighted to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. So the name of your agency is so unusual. Um, so tell mm-hmm. us how that how that came about. Why is that name important to you? Yeah, so um, there's there. I guess there are two stories. One is the real story and one is the story uh, as a strategist. Um, one's the origin story and one's the story that you sort of, uh, we fit into um, being what, what we go with um, from here on out. So the origin right. story is that Lisa and I, my, my business partner, Lisa, who was my boss, um, we bought our agency, our, our, con- our business, which is now a consultancy from a larger agency um, that she was a partner at and we were there for five years together. She was there for 11 the agency was called Lead Dog, Lead Dog Marketing Group. And so I came on board about, I guess, a little eight, nine years ago to run uh, this group with her, this practice with her called Good Dog. So we were the good dogs at Lead Dog using marketing's ability to influence people and affect change uh, and give the tools of modern integrated marketing to folks that were trying to uh, make a change in the world, uh, build a more conscious society versus just giving all the tools to all the people that maybe were putting profits, uh, just only cared about profits. And so that's the origin story. Uh, I guess good dogs, the nice part about good dogs is that um, they believe in the good uh, in all people for the most part, I would say. Um, Definitely met some some dogs that haven't, but I would believe that most of the time, um, you know, dogs believe in the good of people. And so so we sort of take on that mantra um, in a way. And uh, so we, I guess maybe I'm combining both stories. That's, that's, that's what our agency, uh, that's how the name came about. Okay, that's great. Well, when we first met, you were telling me that you, you made a really conscious decision about where to live, because mm-hmm. you, you valued the living part of life as much as the working part. And you ended up in, uh, with, in Marfa, Texas, which is um, not New York, which is where you came from. It's kind of the polar opposite of New York. So totally. um, yeah, how how did you make that intentional decision, and how have you found harmony between work and life in in that decision? Yeah, uh, really good question. I mean, you know, I, I think that the there's a lot of there there has been a, for a long time a talk about work life balance, or you know, the fact that that work sort of bleeds into life. And um, we asked the question, Lisa and I, when we when we bought the business um, about a little over three years ago, was what what do we want out of life? So we own this business. That's great. We know we can effic- effectively and efficiently run it. What do we want out of life? So we asked ourselves questions like, "What was enough? What's enough? What what is that? What do we 
if, if there's the question of what do we want and there's a question of what, what's enough, you sort of start to shape um, a, a business around ideals and values. And so the value system, those were like two key questions for us. So what we wanted, Lisa wanted to spend more time with her kids. Um, she's got kids that are 11 and eight years old. Um, and she didn't want to have to travel around all the time trying to like, you know, when we worked at a larger agency, we were spending so much time trying to sell people on doing business and then trying to figure out how to do the business as well. It was quite frantic. Um, and for me, I wanted to have more freedom. I was about to get married. Um, and, uh, my wife is, is I, I, I chose an adventure and a journey with my wife. I knew that that's what I was choosing. And so I wanted some, some more freedom to just sort of go and be and see and do and, I don't know, see where life takes you. Um, and that was a big quest. That was a big answer for me. And, and then from what was enough, enough was we didn't want to build a really large agency. And so, um, or, you know, enough was uh, success didn't look like for us uh, having a lot of people, which in turn is a lot of mouths to feed, which in turn puts you in a situation where you're trying to um, find business that's going to pay you enough money to pay the people versus being able to be more selective about the decisions you're making. So um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I guess I ended up in Marfa, Texas shortly after we, we bought the business. Um, my wife and I uh, had always been coming out, had come out to West Texas since we started dating because she had, has some family that ranches some cattle, not, terribly far away, an hour plus away from, from this small little town. And uh, we just sort of loved it. And we were looking to get out of the daily grind of being in the belly of the beast of New York. Um, we would travel, both of us, she's a documentary filmmaker. And so we would travel to clients or she would travel to shoots or a project. And we would always come home and feel like we weren't finding that quiet space, that thinking space, that just downtime. Um, Maybe it was the age we were in. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was the fact that like we didn't have millions and billions of dollars, so living in New York is sort of always a struggle. Um, and so we just decided instead of trying to move up towards the Hudson Valley, uh, what would it? Let's just do something crazy. Going back to that journey part, let's just do something crazy. And what about you know buying a house in Marfa, Texas? And what about trying to spend more time there? Um, so. We did that. Yeah, I think we bought the business in April of 2016. Uh, my wife and I bought the house here in the summer of 2016. We got married September of 2016. By November of 2016, we were moving down here full time. So it sort of happened quite rapidly. Um, yeah, that, that was a big year for you. Yeah, it was a big year. <laughs> yeah. It was a big year. Well, and you moved to a town that's full of a lot of creative people. I mean, it, even though it's a bit, it's it's a little off the beaten path, it's still kind of a bit of a mecca for people that are really creative in the way they live and work. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. I think that there's, it's a really beautiful place and um, it's in the middle of nowhere. So it's sort of self-selecting. You have to make uh, quite a conscious effort to get here. Mm -hmm. I travel 180 miles to go to the airport. Um, wow. So uh, that's that's an effort, right? Um, mm -hmm. My closest client uh, is in Austin, Texas. So I get in a car and drive 450 miles essentially to get to Austin, Texas to go. And that's the quickest way for me to be uh, you know, from door to door to a client. Um, mm -hmm. 
So there's, there's definitely, um, life is not perfect, right? There are pluses and minuses and sacrifices. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, in asking those questions, what's enough and, and what do you want out of life? We wanted to be more involved in, we wanted to find community. And we felt like uh, I had lived in New York City for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. I grew up just north of New York City. Macy's from Texas and she was, uh, Macy's my wife, and, and she had been living in New York for six or seven years or eight, nine, whatever it was, a bunch of years. And, and we just got to the point where finding community in this large city just became more challenging. And we wanted to get involved a little bit more. And that almost, it's almost too, too hard and too big and too, um, it's just too much of a, a road to hoe to actually feel like you're making some kind of change in New York City sometimes mm-hmm. uh, or in a large city. And so, um, or finding your community, you know, you have a friend that lives on the Upper West Side and you live in, in, in Brooklyn. That's a, that's a, a, a hard challenge to figure out how to spend some time. It's really like sacrificing to figure out mm-hmm. how, to, how you're going to do that. So we, we wanted community and we also wanted um, the, the kinds of people that, I guess, uh, that believed in, uh, had a similar value system as us. And so Marfa is, uh, it was, people started coming out here that were of an artist ilk um, when Donald, after Donald Judd came out here in the 70s. Um, it's still a small community. It's around 2,000 people. Um, and, you know, the, from a, we'll see what the census brings, but it's over 60% Hispanic. Uh, a lot of folks who, you know, are here from a heritage of, and now this is the United States. It's no longer Mexico. Um, and then there's, um, you know, there's still a, a transient community out here of people that come and work in the service business. Uh, but the, everybody that comes here is sort of ex- has a, a want and need for a creative influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an so intentionality to, to being there, as you said. So, Sure. Yeah. 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 So the, so the business model that you have now has kind of evolved. I mean, you haven't just stuck with, well, we'll move to this great place and we'll have our marketing agency and, and, um, and just carry on from there. You've added some things recently. You've, purchased yeah. a newspaper you bought a space uh, so tell tell us how that kind of uh, vision evolved because all all things begin with a vision so what what kind of intentionality was behind that or was it more of a synchronistic thing yeah i sure i think it does definitely takes vision. I, I just also think it's, um, I'm one of those people that just believes in the, in the journey of life and sort of you make choices, you make intentional ones and, and that leads you to the next point. And then you're, you're, uh, there's a, a choice ahead and do you go left or do you go right? And you just keep going and going and going. And so, um, if I was, uh, 21 years old, graduating college and somebody said to me, you're going to own a newspaper one day, I'd say you're, crazy. Um, <laughs> newspapers are going to die, right? And so, um, but uh, getting back to that community aspect, um, getting back to sort of what the, a value system that, that Macy and I um, uh, care about is, is sort of, I don't know, I guess to make it uh, simple, being the change you want to see in the world, right? I, I think that's a, a common moniker used. And um, she works in 
the social justice documentary field. Um, she's always been involved in telling stories about um, about people that come from places that just need a, need a speaker box and, and don't necessarily have one. Um, and you know, Lee, Good Dog has always been about um, helping to figure out how to tell stories for folks that are using business as a means of some kind of social environmental change. So I, I think we have a common value there. And then lo and behold, living in this beautiful space that's um, amidst grasslands and between two mountain ranges and it's in a high desert and has fantastic weather and fantastic people and all these great things. Uh, we were asked if we wanted to buy the newspaper from the folks that have been running it the last 30 years. Um, and our first answer was no way, Jose, who wants to buy a, <laughs> a dying business, the newspaper business. And then we just started, you know, asking the questions. Macy was like, wow, I, I got my start as a, uh, uh, when I was a photographer, you know, in community journalism and, you know, Hey Max, you, when we came down here, you became a democratic County chair because we wanted to learn more about the community and, and the County and talk to people and, and just get more involved and like this is a pretty awesome idea uh, a friend of mine called it noble it made me feel super humble um you know i think it was it was sort of like okay cool there's this great it's a it's a business it's a healthy business um how can we help what what would we want to do with it we're not just going to run it we want to do something you know we always have i guess big ideas so we want to do something with it help it uh, it's been it was a, it's an, been an award-winning newspaper. It's 87 years old, the Big Ben Sentinel, which is here in Marfa. And then there's a paper down in Presidio County, which is the, uh, the Presidio, which is the town uh, 60 miles south of us, also the other town in Presidio County. Um, and that's called the Presidio International. And so what could we do with these two papers? How could we use, you know, what's going on in the world? Journalism is under attack. Fairness, the idea of fairness is pretty much under attack. There's a fantastic... Michael Lewis podcast that I recently started listening to. It's uh, it's pretty much blowing my mind. It's pretty awesome. The idea that like refs no longer exist. So, anyways, here you are um, with this opportunity to buy a a newspaper and uh, look at the fact that as a whole, um, community journalism, regional voices have sort of dissipated over time and. Uh, you know, our democracy uh, is, is a bit under attack. We're in this space where we're a monoculture of media. People just, we don't, we get all of our news and our information from only a couple sources. And so um, we just, it was, it was, I guess, happenstance, but the fact that there is a really healthy, there's a business here that's healthy. And there's also a community that's very much wanting to support the newspaper we looked at how could we sort of take this to continue on the legacy and, and help, uh, you know, plus it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that your, um, your role, your official title at Good Dog is co-founder and head of relationships. And it seems like the whole theme of community and uh, connecting people and, and relationships is such an important thread in the work that you're doing. So what is, what is the, the, in the world of unusual titles, what does that mean for Good Dog and what does it mean to you in terms of community building and, and uh, the other things that you're doing as well? Yeah. Um, relationships, really, really a really good word. So um, 
for Lisa and I, Lisa's the, I, Lisa hates when I say this about good dog, but Lisa's the brains and I'm LeBron. And so she really leads the work. Um, and I lead, uh, I'm sort of the person out on the front lines talking about our business, meeting people, talking about learning about their challenges, understanding if we're the right people for them. And then once we do become the people, right people for them, uh, we're a small consultancy model. We're only a, a couple people. And so um, folks like that high touch, uh, principal-led, principal-do type uh, um, type work stream where there isn't any fluff. You're, buy, you're meeting the people, you're liking the people, you buy them, and then they do the work. Um, and so once we, once people sort of get into that kind of way of working, they get excited by it. And what they, they ask, are there any other folks like you? And so what we've done over time is build a, uh, a stable of, of friends that are also principal led principal do in creative fields and sales fields, you know, logo and package design work, creative campaigns, social media, PR, um, because what we the work that we do is is quite foundational to a business. It's we like to say we do growth strategy because um, when we help a business, when we come into a business, it's it's uh, mostly a entrepreneur led uh, category creator that's hitting a growth plateau, and there are two things. There are a couple things that they need to solve for. One is a growth um, a growth consumer and how do they get there as well as building a storyline for them to evolve the business. And so, um, so I guess that's sort of uh, the relationships in a nutshell for, for good dog. Um, but the relationships here, it's funny how it sort of happened. Um, we, when we decided we were going to buy the newspaper and start going down this, this negotiation of, of, of doing it, we said, okay, great. We need to have a place to, Macy and I said, we need to have a place for it to exist. And all our, and our ideas about evolving the, the concept of community journalism were rooted in the fact that like, okay, cool. People, yes, people might read the news, they might consume it, but then, then they go and yell at each other. Even in a small town, we have a Marfo Facebook group and people just sort of talk to each other, um, throwing, throwing darts at each other over uh, the interwebs and over social media. And so what would happen if we took the concept of a community paper and then built a space for a community to interact a little bit more? Mm -hmm. uh, so at first we were looking for a small space and lo and behold, we found this 4,500 square foot building in the middle of Marfa that had been vacant for about four years. Most of it is a, a cobbled together of a hundred year old Adobe building. Mm -hmm. And um, it, had, has, it has had many lives over the, the bunch of years. Um, and we said, like, this would be awesome. Can you imagine inviting people in here on a daily basis? How, how would we do that? What would that look like? And we're like, oh, crap. Well, we got we to gotta figure out some revenue streams to support this <laughs> because not only are we buying a newspaper, but now we're buying, like, a big building. Jeez Louise. Okay, so cool. So um, <laughs> our brain started, we just started thinking and thinking and thinking. And lo and behold, we came up with this business model of uh, the idea of a public house, the idea of a cafe, the idea that folks can use this space however they want to. So during the day, it's a coffee shop um, and has a large quiet space to work in the back. Um, at night, there's a bar um, in this big common area. 
uh, we'll have events here. We've booked five weddings already. Um, we haven't even, wow. haven't even opened our doors. Um, <laughs> there's a want for folks um, that are visitors. They want to come down here and sort of fall into the culture, fall, get inspired by the art, get inspired by the open spaces, get inspired by the people and the stories. And um, so we think that there's a, a large market of folks that or there is a large market of folks that want to come down here and do sort of uh, retreats, corporate retreats, or come down here to work on a project together for a bunch of days and just find a space that's inspiring and different and unique. Um, so Lisa and I, from a good dog perspective, uh, are excited that in the second half of the year, we're going to have some folks down here to, to do some workshops on some business challenges. Mm. Uh, so this concept of community, I, I I don't know exactly what it means and what it is and how it works yet, but I do know that it, there's a lot of different moving parts to it. And for here as a 95% tourism economy in Marfa, you know, community definitely there's, there are multiple factions of community here that, that you need to be conscious of, but also it involves like, it just is what it is, right? It involves visitors It involves figuring out how way, how to be welcoming and how to bring those people in and, and to share with them this special place. Mm. Well, it's kind of interesting that you started Good Dog with the intention of kind of simplifying life. I don't want to build yeah, a large, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have employees that I don't have to support. And then you almost, you know, fairly quickly moved into buying some businesses that are going to require employees. So it's kind of interesting what calls you and, and uh, where you get led. Well, I know early in your career, you actually worked with Danny Meyer, at, as, as, uh, who's, which has led who leads Union Square Hospitality Group. And he's pretty famous uh, for a culture, developing a culture of enlightened hospitality. So mm -hmm. how did that experience influence you? How's that affected you, do you think, in the long run? Yeah, uh, I would say from a disclaimer standpoint, I didn't necessarily work with him. I worked at, at a business of his. Mm -hmm. um, but I was totally inspired by a book that he wrote called Setting the Table, which is about this idea of hospitality and this idea of relationships and this idea of creating experiences um uh, i think that's definitely shaped my life that was uh i was working on wall street for a couple of years and uh sort of became disenfranchised by that whole idea and the market was still going up and i left and people said i was crazy and i was like i'm gonna be a restaurateur and i read danny meyer's book and i was like i love food i love making food i love the concept the idea of um, of experiences around restaurants. And so uh, I wrote a letter to Danny Meyer saying, I'm some, uh, I was probably more boastful than this, but I'm, I've been working <laughs> on Wall Street for three years and I have a marketing background and I am enchanted by the experience that you create at Gramercy Tavern, which was his, his like, I think it was his second restaurant mm -hmm. um, after Union Square. Cafe. So, um, you know, but it was like the crown jewel for a long time. It still is. It's still one of the best restaurants in New York City. And so I was like, I'm enchanted by this idea of a, of a lunch special that you have. And I would love to, to help you on your journey. And he was like, oh, this is a really nice note. And I was like, that's not good enough. So I went in. It said in this book that he wrote, he um, visited every restaurant uh, at least once a day. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to give myself four lunches and I'm going to go sit at the bar and I'm going to wait for him to walk in the door and I printed out my letter and lo and behold he walked in the first day and 
nervously, I walked up to him and said, hey, I'm Max. You said you really liked this note. I'd like to make some time with you. And he just, a, a big grin came over his face and he was like, okay, kid, like, cool. That's um, great. You're going to meet somebody else. And lo and behold, I, and anyways, I, that was the way how I got into, into that. But I ended up working there for three three months or so, four months or so um, during a summer and, um, after I left Wall Street and uh, learned a lot about hospitality and service. Um, I was taking reservations. I was quite low man on the totem pole, taking reservations and helping see people during service. Uh, but I volunteered in the kitchen uh, by getting to mop floors and sweep floors and um, you know, learned about plating and seasoning and all those kinds of things by just like literally being in the past and in the kitchen. It was quite an awesome experience. And I think what I took away from that, I didn't necessarily, sure, being in sales over the years, I learned about, uh, I knew how you had to talk to people and understand people. It's a much a people business as it is about the, the business that you're, you're selling. But I think from some of those lessons I look forward to, I'm actually, now that you're mentioning this, I'm definitely going to go back and read Setting the Table. And I'm going to have some other people read it too, because I think it's, uh, <laughs> there's some fantastic lessons in there that I could probably apply to my daily to my daily life these days or whatever uh, the future holds for, for the business here, the Sentinel. Well, uh, and it, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned this, that you used to be on wall street. So you've, you've kind of had that, you had that initial part of your business experience. And I wondered how, how does it, because the union square hospitality group grew quite a bit and fairly quickly, although uh, from his writings in a, in a measured way, but what are your thoughts around scaling and growth? Cause that's something that you're wrestling with at the moment. And, yeah. uh, and you started out as a trader. So how has that molded your views about venture capital and growth and the cost of scaling, which is something I know you wrote about. Yeah. Um, a very loaded question. I, I think from when I was working on Wall Street, I, I, hmm. let's look at Good Dog first. Good Dog was intentionally or uh, always will be, unless we decide to have, make a change, uh, always intentionally will be principle ed, principle do. So it's just like high quality, high touch um, service and um, low overhead that's that's that business. Um, it's all about relationships and going deep with people and understanding what their needs are and and helping them find solutions and come up with with solutions. And that's for, but that is for a business. Our clients are high velocity businesses that are uh, sometimes that's fueled by a want of venture capital or investment dollars for that business to scale because that. That's what they're, you know, the stakeholders of the venture capital or the money is a bunch of people that are expecting big returns. Um, so I think, uh, sidebar, all this conversation becomes back to, I think, stakeholders. That's a really big concept, like who are your stakeholders? So for Good Dog, there are no stakeholders. It's Lisa. It's the people that own the business. For our clients, sometimes it's people that want a return on their investment sooner rather than later, which is, that's what's that's investing, right? Um, and especially when you uh, have a venture capital moniker on it, like you have expectations. Um, then there's for us, for the, biz, for the paper business, I think it's about sort of reinvent 
investing dollars or it will be, we're support, we're, we figured out a way with our building, which is called the Sentinel, um, after the, the name of the Big Ben Sentinel, the 87-year-old paper. Um, it, dollar, we're, we figured out a way how to support strong community journalism, um, or we think we have, um, figured out a way to support strong community journalism with uh, ancillary uh, revenue streams. And so the whole idea, whether you have a wedding here, whether you're buying a coffee, cup of coffee here, whether you're buying a drink at night, whether you're going to come in for a workshop, whatever it is here, that's all in support of community journalism. So our stakeholders, yes, are it's a for-profit business. Uh, the bottom, it comes back to the bottom line of, of Macy and I who own the, own the business. But at the same time, our stakeholders are also, it's the community. We want to have a, we, we believe and, and this, we're lucky because we're in a community that believes that that strong community journalism is a is a cornerstone of a of a thriving of a thriving community. Um, so, yeah, scale. I don't know what scale and velocity looks like for us. Uh, if I can think, what would the world look like five or ten years out? I mean, the the community journalism, the local journalism business model hasn't evolved much, if at all, over the last bunch of years. You know, some are still, there was an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal about how in 2025, even more papers will die. Um, but that's because I don't think they've necessarily, like no one's looked at the, at the idea of evolving the business model. So uh, maybe this could be something that's replicable in other towns. I think it's unique for us because we're, we're a tourism-based economy and there's a lot of visitors. And so that's a whole other idea. But are there businesses that exist or is there a way to have uh, the community, uh, a local paper of journalism supported by some other kind of revenue stream besides just advertising? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's a really cool question to ask. Um, so, so yeah, but to, answer uh to i guess really answer your question head on i think it's all about like who are the stakeholders in the business mm -hmm. um and so for for it that's what it really all depends whether it's a a public company uh, like beyond meat their stakeholders are now different that business is going to change it has to change it has to evolve because people want a different have different kinds of expectations of what returns look like and um i'm sure they'll have as Whole Foods did eventually, like there'll be proxy fights and board fights and uh, <laughs> I only know. It's like, that's just what happens sure. when you reach a certain scale of a yeah. business. Right. Yeah. And, and it makes me think about the whole question of how do you lead a company like that? How do you lead a, a totally. mission focused company? Because you're, I mean, Good Dog is a B Corp. Yep. So you've committed to impact on a, a level that not many businesses do at this point. So what do you think goes into uh, great leadership of a company like that? And, and how do you cultivate your own leadership? Uh, yeah. So I think what goes into great leadership is, um, or the companies that have scaled in the B Corp movement, the larger folks, um, let's say Danone aside, because that's a large public company, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those folks have been super intentional about how they grow and what they do with profits and how it all works. And I think they've also been super intentional about who their stakeholders are and how they take investment dollars 
And, um, you know, we, we met Ursula at this, at this impact, at, at an impact capital kind of summit. And mm-hmm. I think impact capital, a lot of, there were some people that are saying like, don't call it impact capital. It's just capital. And then I think there's another thought of it. There's another part of that. That's like, like, it's not, it's not necessarily slow money, but it's like, we don't want to, we're not giving you money and wanting you to sell the business. We want you to grow right. the business and then return money to us. So we're reinvest money into the business. We're not interested in like you selling it to somebody else and then it becoming a public company and the whole stakeholder um, situation changing. So, well, it's kind of an interesting uh, time, and it's kind of an interesting time in terms of of, you know, do we call it cap just capital or impact capital? Because I think it's becoming uh, so popular i guess mm-hmm. and accepted perhaps accepted is the wrong word but that uh, it's seen as desirable that a company has a mission focus so companies like unilever and Danon are looking at either buying or becoming b corps and uh so it's a a time when there's some influence in that regard and the question is you know for those large companies is it purpose washing or is it this an actual commitment to social environmental impact and Leadership has a lot to do with that in, in terms of what directions things go. Yeah. You know, the former leader of Unilever was uh, put his stake in the ground and was like at one point in time and said, hey, uh, this Gerald Perlman, I think was his name. I forget the yes. gentleman's name. You know, yeah, and he was like, we're just going to report once a year. Like I'm not getting involved in this quarterly crap that makes me spend all, spin all my wheels <laughs> and spend so much time and energy trying to make you happy. Um, this is the way it's going to be done. And if you don't want to own our stock, then like go sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lasts, which is like, a brave feelings. So, <laughs> brave yeah, to- totally, totally. But in, I, I you know, yes, uh, I would, yes, I think, you know, if you talk to the folks that's created B lab and B Corp, um, they would, you could say like, this is, this is what success looks like. The, some of the largest companies in the world are incorporating the practices of a B Corp and, and saying that they're B Corp. But like in the end of the day, there is, if you're a public company or if you, if it, uh, I don't, I don't mean to harp back onto stakeholders, but like, I don't care who your leadership is or what it is. In the end of the day, you, you report back to your stakeholders. Sure. And so if you are a leader of a public company and you are not, driving shareholder value, then you are not succeeding. So, um, you know, I, we can talk about different ways how to get to driving shareholder value and we can, there are many different ways to, to care about people and planet and to do that for sure. I don't think that the markets have all figured that self out, but like, I I don't, it's still evolving. We're just, we're not there yet. We're not to a place where, Um, I would like, if you talk to somebody that's in the, that's in money management and and they just say like, Oh, what can you, if you're involved in equities? Oh yeah. You can buy this ESG fund, like bank of America. Like there's just companies that are in that, that get rated that are in these ESG funds that are just like, they don't have any kind of charter. Some of them are invested Mm -hmm. in coal. Like it's just, it's also very new. I think it's still very early days. So from a leadership perspective, I think you can only be as successful as uh, your stakeholders allow you to be. Mm, 
Yeah, that's a, an excellent point. And I, I agree. I think it's really an evolving issue. So I, I'm really curious to see how this all comes out in, in uh, the longer run in terms of what actual impact are these companies having if they're just adopting it on a surface level and is scale enough? Totally. Is scale going to be enough to balance out the areas where there's not as great a commitment? And uh, you can get very purist about it, but it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, impact is impact. So do we want to just accept that or go with a more uh, pure view of it? It'll be interesting to see how, how things shake out. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, what's interesting to me is um, this idea of, I think there are some people trying to to push the envelope, but in my opinion, um, we value also our, I think our value system is quite skewed. We want to care about impact and all these things, but, but money is what rules the day. Mm -hmm. And so, so success looks like like a lot of smart people, good people made a lot of money or, or are going to make a lot of money with Beyond Meat getting to where, to where it is. But, you know, I'm in the process of writing a, a piece right now, how like that whole concept of Beyond Meat, Impossible Meat, Awesome Meat, whatever you want to call it, whatever these brands are launching companies around, like it's going to become a commoditized product eventually. It's not too far down the line. And so, um, but the stakeholders are going are now totally different than the business was. So like, there's a lot of value to be unlocked from folks from really awesome businesses that are, were birthed on a value system that um, is in line with driving impact in people's lives and, and on the planet. And they're not just making decisions based upon money. Um, and they are scaling and, and they have driven velocity and they've become, you know, large, large corporations. You have billion dollar organic companies like Organic Valley, but where do they go from here? And I think this is sort of to talk up to, to harp on some of the stuff we were just, um, you know, it's early days. Like where does a company like that go from here? Now they're, okay, great. They're, uh, they're ubiquitous. Um, they know who their consumer is. Um, how do they continue to unlock more value out of what they own because a lot of the, a lot of these new entrepreneurial companies, in in my opinion, don't necessarily own a lot. They don't necessarily have a vertically integrated supply chain. They don't own their manufacturing. So Mm -hmm. they own uh, the consumer relationship with the consumer that they built and they have a pretty package and they know how to, how to do business, but that isn't necessarily unlocking a lot of value and helping a lot of people. It's just making a lot more money for the people that are invested in those things. And mm. So I look forward to a time where some of the folks that have birthed the, the good movement, especially in food and beverage, are able to unlock value out of these businesses they've actually built. So that's something that's yeah. really attractive to me right now. Yeah, me too. I'm totally with you there. Well, Max, the way I always wrap up these interviews is to ask three questions about impact. Are you mm-hmm. game? Sure, let's do it. What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? It's really complicated. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say it's really complicated. Okay. Um, Next thing, next question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? (sighs) Be super intentional about my value system and the value system of the folks that I'm working with. 
That's great. And the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with another business owner who's asking, how can I contribute more? How can I have impact? Um, what do you care about? What do you, what do you truly care about? What do you want to, what do you want to change? What do you want to see happen? Everybody has ideas. Um, everybody, yeah. If, if you're, if you're a person who has ideas and feels like they can make a difference, um, go, go do it. I know that's sounds sort of crappy, <laughs> but like, just, just go do it. Go try, go fail a bunch. Just go, go fail and go learn and, go ask a lot of questions and go listen and go figure out how you can help what, what the thing is that you do really well, what the value is that you bring to the table. It's how we figured out what good dog does really well. We don't do, we don't want to be a big agency uh, because we don't, we're not good at everything. We're good at, we're really good at this one thing that we do, which is growth strategy for businesses of a certain ilk. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's what we do. And we think it's super impactful. So that's great. Max. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing what you have today. I, I really appreciate your willingness to talk about the process that's unfolding about the way your business is evolving and the, the things that the questions that you are asking yourself and, and being willing to share those. So thank you for, for doing Thanks that. Thanks so much, Ursula. Yeah. I was, yeah. It was great to meet you, and, and thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. I look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch. My pleasure, and I, it was great, great pleasure to meet you, too. I'm enjoying our conversations. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, um, my email is for good dog is max at we are good dog, two O's, two D's, max at we are good dog .com. Um, And if you're super interested in this, crazy experience we're about to start uh, our first paper uh, is published after july 4th um just google the big ben sentinel and that'll come up um and that's sort of what we're about to start taking over uh and our space is called the sentinel uh and the website is the sentinelmarfa.com we have a, a bit of a you can also find us on instagram there we have a bit of an instagram going on about the construction and the journey um, but yeah, the sentinelmarfa.com, you can join a, an email list or find the Instagram handle there. Mm, that's great. Well, Max, thanks for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you much, Ursula. Thank you for doing the work that you do in the world. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.